Welcome to Threshold Stories, crossing thresholds one story at a time. I'm your host, Jeff Gora. Anyone who does triathlon or duathlon in the United States at the highest levels has heard the name Kirsten Sass on loudspeakers at national and world championship events. Why is that? Because she wins so darn much. More than one really good athlete has looked at her and wondered how she does it and what she does to sustain her level of excellence year after year. In today's episode, we're going to learn more about this athlete in training than the athlete on the podium. Kirsten Sass, welcome to Threshold Stories. Thank you. You know, um, as I like to describe a few folks who have come on this show over the years, you definitely hit the category of inadvertent inspiration. And I kind of want to jump down that path of inspiration right out of the box with you and um, follow up with something. Um, You say that your dad got you into triathlon, right? He did. So tell us that story. How did he get you into this? and, and, And was he your inspiration? So my dad got into running when I was a kid. I'm the oldest of six children. I live out in rural West Tennessee. So growing up, we didn't have much in the way of track or cross country or any kind of formal school programs like that. Right. He he loved to run. And so he decided as kids, he was going to have each of us run a 5K one Mm -hmm. time in our life. And then if we decided we never wanted to run another step again, we didn't have to. So how old were you when he threw this at you? Um, I was probably, I would say maybe 10, okay. something, something like that. So we all, we all ran a 5k and I didn't win or anything, but I made it through mm-hmm. and it was fun, but it wasn't anything that was kind of like a lightning bolt or anything. I just enjoyed running. So I ran on and off through the years after that, mostly as a way to kind of spend some time with my father and, mm-hmm. you know, I live out in the country, so it was a nice way to get outdoors. And then when I graduated from high school, I went to university up in Ontario, Canada. Mm-hmm. And during this time, my father had kind of transferred from running to triathlon. Mm-hmm. So I was kind of familiar with triathlon, but I'd never done one. It wasn't really anything that I kind of thought he was a little nuts, quite honestly. He would be mm-hmm. doing these hill repeats on this crazy hill outside <laughs> my house. Or at the time, we didn't have a, we didn't have a lap pool. He would just go out and swim in our ponds and you know, in Tennessee in the summertime, ponds are covered with this green right. gum and he would come out all covered in green. And I just thought he was nuts. But anyway, so I went to school up in Ontario. This is anti-inspiration as opposed yeah. to inadvertent inspiration. All right. So you you're know. at college in Ontario. So interruption, how did you end up in Ontario for college? Was it free or you just had a thing about that school? So actually my father is Canadian. So I went oh. to university, the same place he did his medical school oh, right. and I'd family up in that area at the time so it was a chance for me to right. just branch out a little bit go somewhere new and spend some time with my family I didn't get to see her all right all right I got it so I went from living in a small town in West Tennessee to this big city of London Ontario mm-hmm. living on the country with a bunch of brothers and a sister to an all-girls dorm <laughs> there were a lot of differences wow and school was tough and I got pretty stressed and I was trying to find a way to get some balance back in my life Mm -hmm. and the easiest thing was to put on a pair of running shoes and just go out for a run so I started running most mornings before class and Mm -hmm. one day my roommate looked at me and she said you know Kirsten you like running and all this exercise stuff you should try swimming sometime it's a great form of exercise this is from a Canadian who had been saying this And you said she said it after a while. So we're not talking August or September. We're talking, she's telling you this like October, November, right? 
Yeah, probably January. Dang, she didn't like, like you at all, did she? <laughs> <laughs> she thought, probably Let's thought put I was her a in the cold too. water now. <laughs> <laughs> well, we did go to the pool at the university, oh. which was heated, so it wasn't too bad. <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, so we went to the pool together, mm-hmm. and, you know, my experience with swimming was, you know, I had a pool growing up and swam with the Girl Scouts, <laughs> but I'd never really done any kind of lap swimming. Mm-hmm. So the first time I got in the pool, it was all I could do to make it to the end of the pool. And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, like, hanging on to the edge, gasping for breath, looking around at all these people that are just, swimming up and down the pool just as easy as can be yeah and I was like wow you know I should be able to do this this is a good challenge so I kind of set my mind to figuring out how to swim Mm -hmm. and I started swimming regularly and I noticed that there was a girl who was at the pool most days when I was there Mm -hmm. one day I, I caught up with her after after I swam and I said you know how many times back and forth makes a mile and she kind of looked at me and she said you know I'm the coach for our little triathlon club here at the school. We swim a few times a week. Why don't you come and start swimming with us? So that's kind of how that started. So I started swimming with her. And then the next year I moved off campus and I bought a mountain bike and I kind Mm -hmm. of commuted around on my mountain bike. Mm -hmm. And I formally joined the triathlon club and I started swimming with them and doing some biking and doing the running. So for perspective's sake for the listeners, so how old are you at this point when you joined the triathlon club? So I was 19. Right. And you had not yet ever done a triathlon. Correct. Right. So middle-aged people listening in wondering what the heck is wrong with us. We do start late. This isn't (laughs) like football where we begin at five years old or something. Absolutely. So, yeah, so my father found out that I had joined this Mm -hmm. triathlon club. He was so excited. He said, oh, you will be done with university for the summer break in May. That is just in time for the Memphis in May triathlon. That I'll mm-hmm. sign you up. And he did. And he put me on one of his old road bikes. Now he's six two and I'm five nine. So my well, first right on I did not get in the arrow bars at all. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was um, I was absolutely dead last in my age group. But did you get any photos of you on your dad's bike by any chance? I do have a photo. Okay. I actually That's do. That's pretty mission have... critical right there. <laughs> There are actually a lot of pictures of people doing their first triathlon on that bike because he suckered a lot of people into doing that. Oh, wow. <laughs> but, you know, I had so much fun, and I was just so impressed because at this time, Memphis in May was a huge triathlon. There were probably 1,500 people in this race, and probably wow. 1,400 of them passed me on the bike. And all of them had something encouraging to say to me. And I had never been in a sports situation really? to have so many people cheer me along and just be so encouraging. And afterwards, it was just this whole amazing atmosphere. Everybody talking about the race, swapping stories about races they'd done in the past or mm-hmm. what they were planning for the year. You know, they had live music playing. And it was just, it was such a really neat thing. And I kind of decided that I liked this triathlon stuff. And maybe if I worked on it a little bit, I could get a bit faster. So it was the scene, not the event. That was yeah, the compelling was the, thing. Yeah, it was the scene, the camaraderie, the it was just everything about it. Just incredible. And so that was um, back me up in years here. Was that around the year two thousand ish? That was ninety nine. Yeah. Okay. So the, it sounds like your your memories of your first race were people centric and equipment failure centric. 
<laughs> right. Something like that. <laughs> yeah. Wouldn't you think that's like about half of us, if not more? Absolutely. Right. Yes. So, um, sure. speaking of, uh, equipment failures and all that goes with this, I want to kind of jump to a, a person whom you and I both know who will also be coming on the show. That's Kimmy Armour. And um, yeah. she said you are also one of the people who inspired her to keep going with this sport because when you were at one of your higher points in your, uh, in your building process, she was crashing and she was one of her lower points and, um, you picked her up and inspired her. Did that just happen subconsciously or did you find yourself compelled to do that? Oh, totally subconsciously. You know, I think I get it from my dad where we just love to encourage, love to see people test themselves, love to see people keep going and do things that they didn't think they could. Cause mm-hmm. I think it's possible for anybody, you know? Mm-hmm. And Kimmy, Kimmy was interesting. I'll never forget the first time I met her. It was through actually a joint friend of ours, Leslie Battle, mm-hmm. messaged me that I was going out to do duathlon nationals. And she said, Oh, my friend Kimmy will be there. You should look for her. Mm-hmm. And I'd never met Kimmy before. But I'm sitting at this little airport in Oregon, and there's this girl sitting next to me who'd done the race. And I just looked at her, and I just knew somehow. And I'm like, what's your name, Kimmy? <laughs> and sure enough, it was. And that was my first wow. conversation with Kimmy. She was really cool. <laughs> <laughs> Accidental stalking. It almost sounds like you look like this person who I'm thinking I'm supposed to meet. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> so, um... Yeah, you've already made it clear that you're not a fan of talking about your um, accolades, accomplishments, and anything like that. So let me just give you a couple of rapid-fire questions and, and just answer them, okay? Just as fast as okay. you can. Um, favorite thing after a race to eat? So Usually I'm craving something salty, so chips and salsa is one of my guilty vices. Mm-hmm. Something you wished you didn't crave, but you simply find yourself craving it a lot the days leading up to a race. Mm, chocolate chip cookies. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you broke my line of thought on that one. Um, favorite thing to have in your bottle on race day other than water? Uh, you can hydration. Ah, okay. Um, favorite thing to tell yourself in the middle of the swim? Oh, that's a great question. I think I just focus on, <sighs> hmm, so swimming is my biggest challenge. And what I tend to do is I tend to resort mm-hmm. to overusing my arms. So I think right now I've been focusing more on my kick, believe it or not. So you're telling yourself kick more. Uh, fast and smooth. Fast and smooth. Um, favorite thing to tell yourself when you see the finish line? Oh, smile and take it all in. Right. Absolutely. Um, favorite thing to see, favorite thing to say to yourself when you find yourself in first. You're, oh. I don't get to ask this to everybody, by the way, just for the record. <laughs> so most of the time I have a hard time believing I'm in first, mm-hmm. and especially with a staggered start. That makes you normal, so just, by the way. So, so I just keep running like I'm in second. <laughs> mm, just keep running like you're in second. I'm going to steal that. Not that I find myself <laughs> in first that often, but I once in a blue moon it does happen. <laughs> um, when you hit that sweet spot on the bike when all things are perfect, you know you're arrow is perfect and it's everything is just aligned in the world what do you say oh man i love that feeling because i love to bike too usually i have a song running through my head you took it and i start (laughs) i start thinking of a song too (laughs) oh that's great i've got i've only got like two first overalls in my entire life and granted i started a lot older and i had um 
I had a Maroon 5 song stuck in my mind when I found myself in first place on the bike, and I knew I the run was really hilly, and I live in the hilly part of North Carolina, so I knew I wasn't going to have a bunch of competition on the hills. And I couldn't get that song out. It went from the bike through transition to the run. <laughs> it's great when that happens, though. Right? Unless it's just a really, unless it's a really crazy song. Right. So, okay, what's what music's on your devices when you when you run to music or swim to music? Oh, I vary. I cycle through. I've been in a oldies classic rock mood here lately, mm-hmm. so there's been a lot of Band, dire straits. All right, Kirsten, give it up. Band names. What are the dire straits? Keep going. Who else? <laughs> dire straits. Um, let's see. Oh, the, the whole Guardians of the Galaxy soundtrack. I've been listening to that mm-hmm. with my kids a lot. Um, I like a lot of classic country. Um, some of my favorite, let's see, songs that go through my head on race day is Dirk Bentley, I Hold On, mm-hmm. believe it or not. Um, mm-hmm. What else? To do some Maroon 5. Um, yeah, it's just a whole random assortment. <laughs> I've got some classic country. I've got some new country. You've got mm-hmm. a little bit of everything. Wow. So the diversity goes not only from the, the sport, which is considered a diverse sport, with swim, bike, run, nutrition, transition, all that stuff. You got you got the diversity going on with the music as well, so it's pretty holistic. So let's jump into the the March twenty seventh of the year twenty twenty part of triathlon. Namely, we have this global pandemic that our media and our government people are is telling us is a really big deal, and they're they're convinced that the fix, or at least part of the fix, is to stay clean and isolate from one another, and. That means we can't do our races because our races are all you're blobbed up often and frequently. And I don't know about you, but I've been guilty of shooting a snot rocket on a bike more than once. So uh, <laughs> we can't do what we love to do, but we're still training because we have this belief with no evidence for it. But I still have the belief that this is going to go away and we're going to go back to usual. So the loaded question here, and I'm hoping that people who are listening in are asking this question, too, is. What do you do to train? So instead of me just getting you to give me something vague, go through it. It's Friday, uh, March 27th, and it's like 10 in the morning. And you already told me before we started the call that this morning you went on a run. So just kind of back through it. Give us Monday to Friday of the last week of March of 2020 for you. What did, what did you do? Well, let me go back two weeks. <laughs> so okay. actually – my um, So my coach and I have a very dynamic approach to training. We basically take things one day at a time. We take into a lot of factors, mental, physical, what the world at large is going, is happening. Mm-hmm. And with all the craziness over the past week, last week, basically all I did was whatever felt good. You know, there seems like we get so caught up in the intervals and the intensity and the what we need to do for race prep or what we need to be doing for recovery. So in a way, it was really refreshing to take a step back and say, okay, I really have a clean slate right now. There are no upcoming races in the foreseeable future (laughs) until we know further what's going on. So let's just go back to why I fell in love with the sport. I love to ride my bike. I love to run. So I would do a run and just go out and just run and just run a happy pace, not look at my watch to say, okay, I feel like going for an hour. And if I only felt like going 30 minutes, then it was 30 minutes. Or if I felt good and I wanted to go for an hour and a half, I went for an hour and a half. And same thing with the bike ride. We had a beautiful day here where it was sunny and 70, so I rode my bike mm-hmm. for three hours. We had a day where it was raining all day, and I lay on the couch and watch movie with the kids. So mm-hmm. we just took a week and just said, okay, let's take a step back and do what feels good. And then this week, we've kind of been adding back in a little bit, so trying to find 
a little bit of intensity, but still keeping things very chill. So base miles, steady runs, Mm -hmm. a run with some pickups in it where you do like a minute on, a minute off a few times just to get the leg speed turning over, um, doing a few intervals on the bike, but really still just keeping it very chill and doing what feels good. There's so much mental stress out there right now and psychological stress and things Mm -hmm. that we don't know. Sometimes it's nice to step back and say, well, this is the one thing I have control over. I can control what I go out and do. And right now, I'm just going to do whatever makes me happy and feel good. And then as we know more, obviously doing enough to stay in shape, but not adding unneeded stress on top of everything that's already going on, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So, ladies and gentlemen, the last minute has obviously been the most valuable for those who are listening in. But the world is diverse and adverse, therefore try to take control of life by doing what feels good in these moments when we might not know when we get to do that again. Exactly. That was great. I was just for the record. I wasn't expecting that answer. That was a good oh, yeah. for me. Yeah. I was expecting something like, well, on Monday we did a brick run and I smashed the and Monday to Tuesday we did it. I was, I was thinking it was going to be much more metric based scientific, something like that, as opposed to feel based. Do you know, and it's one thing I absolutely love about my coach. She's great like that. I'll tell her, hey, Suzanne, and my coach is Suzanne Atkinson down to Pittsburgh, and everything we do is just online or just texting back and forth. And I'll say, hey, Suzanne, um, the kids just really need me around today. My husband's busy. She'll say, okay, for today, why don't you just go for a walk with the kids or go for a bike ride with the kids or just, you know, if you don't feel like doing that, then just hang out with them. Or she'll say, okay, do you feel, how are you feeling today? Is your energy good? Then let's do something spicy. Let's mix it up a little bit and do this but it's always fun and always just more of a personal challenge and it never feels like something that i have to do it's mm. always something that i want to do wow i like that a lot that's good stuff i hope you, um, everybody else can gravitate towards that so um for those people geeking out the geek out triathlons in the world before we jump forward in that tell everybody about what your um bikes are that you use to train with sorry my what your your equipment your your race bike and your regular road bike Okay, yeah. So I bike on um, a Bianchi Aquila for my race bike for my triathlon and the Aria, the Bianchi Aria for my road bike. And I have to tell you, I'm the world's worst because I can't give you any stats other than that. I can't tell you anything about power. I can't tell you anything about what yeah. my gearing is, That's fine. what my wheel selection People is. People just want to um, know those things. That's fine if you don't know how to get to that level. There's a lot of really, really great athletes who can't tell you a whole lot of the details of their sport. Hockey players can't tell you how long their stick is. You know, football Perfect. players can't tell just, you what the helmet size is. They just put it on. Perfect. Because yeah, I'm like Forrest Gump of biking. I love to bike. Just put me on a bike and point me in a direction, tell me to go, and I'm good. <laughs> mm-hmm. I like it. So let's switch again um, on topics out of the corona world, and let's replay some of the stuff that I know is more near and dear to your heart. And that's this woman named Amy. And yes. um, I could start by showing off how much I know or don't know, but instead – do us a give us the two minute monologue. How did you connect with Amy, and what do you guys do together? So Amy and I met because, a long story short, she had a race guide who was not eligible to guide for her. So to guide for a visually impaired elite paratriathlete, you cannot have raced yourself as a professional in any ITU sanctioned event. And her guide that she was using had done an ITU race as a as an elite. So 
This all fell through about two weeks before she was set to go race with her. She had a backup guide who had broken an ankle and was wow. going to go race with her. And her backup to her backup guide couldn't go race with her. So all of a sudden, she's two weeks out from a major race with no guide. Now, at this point, I had guided once in my life, mm -hmm. and that was only two months before that. I'd been on a tandem like four times total in my whole life. But the girl I guided for reached out to me and asked if I would be willing to help her. And so Amy and I connected and I said, look, if you can find anybody with guiding experience, you're going to be better off than having me. However, if you cannot find anybody, then I'm better than nobody and I'll do the best I can to help you through it. So she couldn't find anybody. What would give us a time frame on this? When was this? So, so this was three years ago in May. I was actually driving back from Cary, North Carolina, mm -hmm. from Duathlon Nationals out there. Mm -hmm. And her major race in two weeks was in Japan. So it was like a snowball of, I was really lucky that my family is very supportive. My work was very supportive. Mm -hmm. I was able to pull this together. And the first time Amy and I actually really met was in Japan. No kidding. We were on the, no kidding. And in Japan, it's illegal for two people to ride on a bicycle together. So the only time we were allowed to get out on the tandem and practice was for about 15 minutes in this little short cobblestone section of rainy, wet pavement with U-turns on either end and people wiping out all over the place. Holy capoli. <laughs> it was crazy. So, but we made it through that. We did not hit the ground. And, um, yeah, so we did this. We did this race together, and you know it rained during the race, and you know what happens to brakes on a on a bike in the mm -hmm. wet? The brakes mm -hmm. stop working, and it was like four loops of so twenty turns per loop with cobbles and U turns and one eighties. It was like crazy, but we made it through, and we hit it off. We're very similar. We both love to bike. Um, we just were very compatible, and I told mm -hmm. her, you know, I really enjoyed racing with her. It's something I'm really passionate about. And so we continue, we've continued to race together, and it's been really amazing. It's been an amazing journey. No kidding. That uh, portions of that story I did not know because all I get to see about you is the stuff that USA Triathlon, et cetera, puts on social media, and that was a b yeah. much bigger story than all that. Yeah, so, um, that was pretty crazy. You had a story in there that I that was very compelling for me, it's, and has probably more reason to do, me to call you up and ask you to do this than than, than your achievements. And that was you had this crossover point when there was a conflict between you competing in a world championship and Amy competing in one. Oh, yeah. Last year in Switzerland? Yeah. So tell everybody that story because I don't want to boil the bubble over. But that, that ripped me in two when I read that that story. Oh, so usually, so it helps me out. Um, I love to race with Amy, but it helps me to have my own individual races too. It just kind of helps mm -hmm. balance things out for me. So usually it works out really well when she has a world championship event. It's the same place as the age group world championship. Mm -hmm. And usually the para races are staggered far enough where it doesn't interfere with my own personal races. So in Switzerland, unfortunately, while the races were a day apart, the paratriathletes have a mandatory pre-race meeting that they have to attend. Mm -hmm. And that race meeting was at the exact time of, well, it would have been half an hour into my race. And because of the wave start for the age group, I started later on in the morning. So it conflicted right with that mandatory meeting. So Amy and I both reached out to ITU and tried everything we could, but they said basically, if I was not present at that meeting with her, then she would be given um, a time penalty in her race. And I just, 
I couldn't let that happen. So mm-hmm. really at the end of the day, her races take priority over mine. I've already told her that she's been, she's been my priority for the past year and will continue to be, be so until we make it through this Tokyo thing. And so I just bailed on my race and we went out and we had a great race the next day and it was still all good. I had fun cheering on the people that I knew out there racing. Hmm. Well, for people who didn't quite tie the, the pieces of the puzzle there, Kirsten decided to not race in the world championship that, had, that she had trained several hundred hours for, if not a thousand hours for, in order to do it for somebody else. Um, that's like the core of my faith right there. That's like the whole reason, in my mind, Jesus died on the cross is for that sort of experience to come to pass. And it, it just tore me up, among other people, it tore Kimmy up to read that story oh. and hear that story. That was really good stuff. Um, well, thank you. Well done is the is the spiritual phraseology that would apply to that. So I, I did go run that crazy hill that everybody had to run, though, just because. Oh, well, of course. <laughs> <laughs> well, of just course. So you know. <laughs> I say anything else other than that would be inappropriate here. Um, <laughs> so what races are on your um, agenda in your mind? Are the things that you love to do but you have not yet done? Have you got like an Iron Duathlon in mind or Kona or anything like that on your short list? Oh, let's see. Um, so I've really been interested in this, this swim run thing. So there's one, the Spirit of the Shawshank, the, the SOS race up in New York, New Paltz area. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's that's one that I'm interested in doing just for fun. Um, other than that, I haven't given too much thought yet other than I've just been so focused on Amy. Now, Memphis is having a 70.3 um, this October, which is super exciting just for local reasons. So that's kind of my, been my big race for this year anyway. But apart from that, probably just scaling back and doing some fun stuff. You know, mm-hmm. my father and I, for years, when Iron Man sold out quicker than your hottest concert tickets, we got fed up and we said, well, let's just pick a destination race. So we went and did some cool races, like we did Iron Man France and Nice, and we did the Lanzarote race in the Canary Islands. So I think with my kids getting bigger, we'll probably pick some destination races where we can combine some family trips Mm -hmm. and that sort of thing. Because, you know, there has to be a race involved for some reason to do that. (laughs) We have kind of, we did that, we have that scheduled for Almira this time. I'm doing two races there. And my um, youngest son had qualified for one, but it's right in the middle of the school year. And it's long course triathlon. Oh, yeah. And the wrong thing to do is do an Ironman and then get on a flight from... Amsterdam to Phoenix and then expect to yeah. go to class the next day. So I've discouraged him from racing that day because he'd race Saturday, fly Sunday and Monday, pretend like nothing happened. <laughs> yeah. Is, and he's, did I say he's 19 years old that I add that to the formula? So his endurance <laughs> hasn't quite yet evolved. There. Yeah. So when I was, I am, you know, I do cycling adventures for folks like you and me. We were in, we were in Spain a few weeks ago when everything Corona hit that country. And, um, uh, it was one of the most amazing experiences because cycling there is, you know, so much bigger than it is in our country. It's a bigger part of the culture in Europe for sure, but it's even bigger in Spain than in other places within Europe. And, um, all of a sudden the Spanish government decided that cycling outdoors was a health risk. And they said, if we catch you riding a bike, even if it's to work or to the grocery store, we're going to hit you with a fine. Wow. And I was thinking, you know, that week we had a couple of cycling, pro pro cycling team, names, you know, you would see, you know, Tour de France kinds of teams. One 
famous cyclist was passed us. He was going one way we were going the other, but a guy in our group was able to say, oh, that's Thomas DeHent. I'm like, well, wow. I don't, I've heard the name. I don't know who it is. I don't know how you knew that, but okay. Um, <laughs> you know, those guys are all on unemployment right now. Wow. They qualified for government unemployment instead of training for the Tour de France. So That's so crazy. So they have to get on all those online tools uh, and sit in their equivalent of their basement or their living room and race because they get on their actual bike and go outside, um, they'll get written up. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, you think about that here. Um, yeah. And I think that would truly do it in for us if they said, okay, no one can bike ride in the state of Tennessee. You have to do it in your basement. Can you imagine? I know. It would be a, a backlash times a backlash. Yeah, I love to ride, but I like to ride outside. I've never been a good indoor bike. Bicycle. Yeah, I was going to ask you that, but I fi- I kind of figured that out because I'm in North Carolina, so we get the freedom to cycle outside a lot, and I'm in rural North Carolina, so it's nice. really easy for me to get out and do that stuff. So what do you say I get you and Amy to come back on, and you guys tell your story? Yes, I would love to. Amy has an incredible story. I think she's well worth hearing. Well, let us do that, and um, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for listening to this chapter of Threshold Stories, Crossing Thresholds, One Story at a Time. Be ready to cross more thresholds with me in two weeks. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out to me directly. You can find me on LinkedIn or on my Facebook page at Jeff Gora Team USA. 